0: Welcome back to Humans of Purpose, the weekly podcast featuring conversations with local purpose-driven leaders, leaders creating social impact through their work and fostering in a new era of social progress. We want you to listen, connect and grow with us. Learn more at humansofpurpose.com.
1: So reciprocity was a word that came up a lot when we were doing Significant Women's Network that um, there was an opportunity to give back and to um help help the people in your networks and I think very early on someone said to me you know don't think about what you can get from your network think about what you can give to your network so yeah. I'm always really conscious of that too and
0: those are the wise words of Sandra Jacobs CEO of the Benelong Foundation a short bit of housekeeping and we'll get right back to Sandra firstly a happy new year to you all we hope you've had or are having a marvelous holiday season we've just landed from our epic adventure in Chile including Easter Island and Patagonia We hope you enjoyed our bonus episode last week, where we talked about your favourite Humans of Purpose episodes of the year, and our favourites too, as well as what is to come in 2020. I want to firstly mention our sadness at the bushfires which have been gripping our country for the past few weeks. Our thoughts are with those people affected and those directly or indirectly working on containing these fires. Our hearts and thoughts and the thoughts of our community of listeners are with you. Before we kick off today, I just want to express my gratitude to you, our listeners. Whether you listen each week or just cherry-pick the episodes of interest, your support and attention are really appreciated. After all, there are roughly 700,000 other podcasts you could have chosen. Know that your confidence and interest in choosing humans of purpose is greatly appreciated. I'm especially grateful to those who have chosen to actively support the podcast by becoming Patreon supporters. When we started our 2019 season, we had just one supporter, and after a concerted effort, we ended 2019 with 14 supporters, which I consider to be a proud and monumentous achievement. Our goal remains to hit the 30 mark, which will ensure I can continue to dedicate the time and resources needed to create the podcast each and every week. Another key measure of success that has been apparent is that people I'm approaching to come on the show are increasingly already listeners to the show or have heard of it and are happy to be involved. Guests and fans of the podcast have also been terrific in making introductions, suggestions for guests, and referrals, which is a great vote of confidence in the show. As always, I want to send a big thank you and happy new year to our Patreon supporters: Lucia, Judy, Jules, Sally, McCartan, Stuart, Joel, Misha Times Two, Bonnie, Olivia, Linton, Joe B, and Will. Your support is much appreciated and helps us to keep posting up quality content each and every week. If you're keen to join our growing our Patreon community and support our growth. Just hit the link in our show notes or head to patreon.com slash humans of purpose. Today, I'm pumped to be speaking with Sandra Jacobs, who is CEO of the Benelong Foundation. Sandra's had a really diverse career and brings an outstanding fresh perspective to philanthropy. We also went to the same high school and are both big big Curb Your Enthusiasm fans, exchanging curb references and Larry David memes and gifs regularly before and after recording the show. I really enjoyed the conversation with Sandra and I think you'll really enjoy it too. Sandra, great to have you here. Thanks for joining me.
1: Thanks for having me. Love your show. So it's a pleasure to be part of it. First time
0: caller. <laughs> Long
1: time listener, first time caller.
0: Yeah. Well, I feel lucky to have seen you twice today <laughs> yes. uh, in a matter of hours. Uh, having your task force today was terrific as well. Thanks
1: for having me there
0: too. Oh, pleasure. And I loved meeting you a few weeks ago and I think it's so nice for me to meet people in philanthropy in a space that I just think is inherently fascinating, so interesting, so capable of creating change and impact at, a, at quite a significant scale. Why don't you take me and our listeners into a bit of a journey into your sort of your journey, yeah. um, how you started out, and then we'll get to some more deeper questions.
1: Sure. So um, I'm currently the CEO of the Benelong Foundation, which is a PATH based in Melbourne. And in Define February, PATH quickly. Uh, a private ancillary fund. Um, and so February will be four years since I've been there. But uh, my career really started out in wealth management and uh, – uh, really worked my way work from the mailroom there. But uh, when I went through my associate program, it was through the GFC. That was really challenging. And then at the end of that, I sort of was left thinking about what I wanted to do. And it was pretty um, full on experience to go through that. Um, and a friend said to me, so, Yeah, I found myself a bit lost. And a friend had suggested to me, Why don't you try a year of yes? So I. Which meant, and basically that just meant taking on everything that came across my desk. So any invite to any event, getting involved in committees, just doing things that you wouldn't normally feel comfortable doing. And I thought I was ready for this challenge. And and I was also, I remember walking down Collins Street and thinking, there's all these buildings and I don't know anyone in these buildings. I really need to branch out. So I joined the diversity committee at Morgan Stanley and I joined Women in Finance and I started going on to events and you'd meet all these amazing people who were really successful and their, their key was that they loved what they did. And I thought to myself, but I don't love what I do, but I also don't know what I love. Mm. Uh, so the journey continued on and I just really op- opened myself up to meeting people and I really made a big effort to build a network and um, that year that I did which is nearly 10 years ago now is still bringing benefits to me because it just changed my mindset I really pushed myself into un- you know uncomfortable zones um, and it was a really big year of growth for me and in that time I met um, the CEO of a uh, women's refuge and it was you know those tipping points in your life where you know Things change the tra- trajectory forever, and I'll also mention that I'm, you know, I've had a really pretty good life, you know, a very comfortable life, and I'm very lucky to not have anything really major impact me in any way that has driven me into the um, social sector, you know. Um, but she started telling me about um, family violence and the impacts of family violence, and I was really shocked that I'd never heard of anything mm. like that before, mm. um, and. Yeah, so I said to him whatever you need, I want to help you. And so I joined their fundraising committee and then from there I ended up um, starting my own not-for-profit um, to support women called the Nappy Collective. And I just really loved this space. And I also I also came across the term um, corporate social responsibility mm-hmm. and impact investing and, you know, throughout this journey of meeting these people. Um, I ended up at Nexus um, Conference and, uh I just thought it makes so much sense to me that if you could do business and positive social impact, why would you do business any other way? And the, the short version is, I just got too religious about it and um, was really trying to drive it at Morgan Stanley, and they weren't really interested in um, taking it on. And so I knew I'd gotten to the point where I needed to leave. So went back to my network and uh, told people that I was looking for a new career. Didn't know what I didn't know where, and and this opportunity came up, and it just suited me really well in terms of what I'd had the experience with setting up the NAPI Collective. Um, I knew a lot of people in philanthropy because we'd been trying to drive this impact investing. And so it was quite an easy transition across the learning curve. But uh, yeah, when I just uh, had my Year of Yes hat on and I just jumped at the opportunity.
0: (laughs) That's a great um, little intro. Tell me more about the Year of Yes. Where did that come from? And um, you said your friend brought that up?
1: Yeah, I think she just said, you should do this Year of Yes. And so yeah it was really it was just saying yes to everything and and the big thing about this year of yes was changing to a positive mindset which I didn't I hadn't I didn't have the words for it at the time but that's that's what it is it's just um and I think I don't know also maybe working in a very male dominated industry and um I, you know you have this sense of not being good enough yeah. or not worthy of things and so I, I think for me it really took effort to flip that switch to say yes you should be there yes you could do this why not um and in the year it was amazing year I met so many amazing inspiring people and it really uh you know pushed me to areas that to do things that I never thought I'd really be able to do before and I just did it like I just like literally like jumped off the cliff and just put myself into lots of un- uncomfortable situations got used to the feeling of being uncomfortable mm. and and the more you do it, the better you are. So, I'd, I'd, for instance, I'd go to networking events on my own. That's awesome. It's pretty scary. I love doing
0: stuff like that. I think I used to love doing that for a period, um, but that is a very invigorating thing to do because, you know, when when you constantly hear about how much people hate networking and then you just gain the curiosity to take yourself off to one of these things solo, it's actually quite, quite a rich experience if you, if you give it a chance.
1: Yeah, well, I think. it can be well you can train yourself to get as look some people are very natural at it yeah and um, I'm not but Mm. it like anything if you practice you can get better at it and then you learn which events or which sort of functions are worthwhile to go to but I would also um, normally there'd be a speaker or something and I'd go and introduce myself to the speaker and one of the big lessons I learned from that was um, you know people are just people at the end of the day, and a lot, a lot of people really flattered that I wanted to speak to them and um, I'd always asked for a coffee and and you know I think they were really flattered that someone would take interest in what they were doing even yep. if they were the senior partner at a law firm or or whoever they were um, most
0: people will have a coffee with you if you ask them authentically yes and I think with the right approach but I like what you said there you know people are just people and we, we forget that all the time mm. um, and I think one of the the great learnings for me over, over the past few years has been, you know, with the podcast, no one has to do the podcast, but mm. so, you know, you, you strike, right, when you ask people um, to just sit down for a chat and, you know, have that recorded as a thing, you might not know them at all, but they would be very interested to do that a lot of the time. Mm,
1: yeah. So absolutely. it's, you know,
0: even asking something that's beyond a coffee, you know, people people like to be asked for things, I think is the, is the kind of counterintuitive bottom, <laughs> bottom line there.
1: Absolutely. And I think um, a lot of people are quite intrigued By my story, I guess being at Morgan Stanley, there were 80 advisors on our floor, and there were five five of us were women, so they were quite intrigued by that. Um, And I worked with my mum there as well, so they also found that quite interesting. And everyone said, "I'd love to meet your mum too," if you know. And so we ended up, mum and I ended up starting an organisation called Significant Women's Network, and it was um, was the opportunity to network in a way that we felt uh, senior women um, would feel most comfortable and connect. Uh, and so it was about sharing experiences, sharing passions, sharing challenges, and um, and we'd also run quarterly events, thought leadership ideas, uh, so these women could take it back to their businesses and 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 put it through, you know, influence their business. Uh, and so we did run a session on philanthropy uh, when we were running that, and I also met a lot of people um, in the sector through there. So a lot of um, naturally, a lot of senior women are in the social sector as well. So mm-hmm. a lot of my network that I met was through. Um, through Significant Women's Network um, in the social sector. And I think what was also really nice about that is that uh, it gave mum and I an opportunity to give back to our own network. So reciprocity was a word that came up a lot when we were doing Significant Women's Network that um, there was an opportunity to give back and to um Help, help the people in your networks and I think very early on someone said to me, you know, don't think about what you can get from your network think about what you can give to your network so yeah. I'm always really conscious of that too And
0: That's a beautiful sentiment. Um, if yeah. you have to give someone advice who's in your position, you know what should I do, I'm not, I, like I do my work, I'm not passionate or in love with my work and mm-hmm. I want to love my work, like those bubbly people we come across <laughs> now and then would you suggest to do a year of yes? Yeah,
1: I would I, and I might suggest that maybe um, the work that you're doing is not for you because I think that might be hard to yeah. find the joy in your work if if you're hating going to work every day but maybe finding those um and look not everyone finds their passion and so if if work isn't fulfilling and this is where we're talking about ikigai oh, yeah. um which is uh you know this japanese philosophy of doing what you love doing what the world needs doing what you're good at and um doing what you can get paid for mm-hmm. but the reality is, is that not everyone can find not everyone will find their passion at work so mm. There needs to be other ways to fill those.
0: True. And, yeah, you know, um, you. I think in the US for a while they were quite big on job crafting and that that might have been a thing here where you have a job that maybe you're not in love with but you kind of tack, you, you mould the purpose to sort of your own personal mission in that job and try and make it a bit more kind of relating to your key areas of growth and then you kind of also shift the the work a little bit itself if possible. Yeah. I think in truth, you know, there's not much nexus of control to kind of do that so much.
1: Yeah, it depends on the industry I guess yeah. or what you're doing. But I think uh, – you know, it was pretty scary to leave Morgan Stanley. I'd been there for 12 years and built a business and um, I was really jumping into, uh, you know, complete unknown. And so it was pretty scary to just give all of that away and it's, you know, pretty hard to get into stockbroking. Mm. So, um, Why did
0: you choose philanthropy? Because you could have chosen to maybe do not-for-profits or work in a big not-for-profit or be a, in a social enterprise or a B Corp or something?
1: Yeah, look, it was really interesting when the job description came through. You know, I was thinking, oh, what, what sort of job would I do? I'm a financial advisor. I've started up a not-for-profit. I run Significant Women's Network. I'm on this diversity community. It was a real um, mishmash of um, skills, and there wasn't a job really out there that was that filled all those um, skills, and, and so I... But when this job description for Benelon came along, it was all the things that I could do. And I was like, this job was actually built for me. Yeah, because
0: you've got like lots of, good skills in different you're quite an all-rounder I would say I, I could be totally wrong but, <laughs> but you strike me as somebody who's like you know you've got great people skills um you're an excellent networker you have excellent financial skills that often doesn't come together mm. so it's like quite a you know rounded package that would really suit philanthropy well
1: yeah well look I think it was the same you know I think what appealed to my trustees about me was um you know the same way that you would assess a company to invest in you could really put that same lens on to like, investing your philanthropic money into, for instance. Mm-hmm. So um, a lot of those skills are transferable um, and the staff engagement running events and um, so which I'd done through the Diversity Committee at Morgan Stanley and Significant Wins Network and then I had the understanding of what it was like to be a grant seeker through NAPI Collective and because I'd had the network in philanthropy, it was um you know, they said to me, well, you don't have any experience in, in grant making? And I said, I, I don't, but I have a network so I can – Uh, lean into that to fill those gaps for me. And they're like,
0: okay. That's interesting. And I I feel like, you know, we we had this conversation a few weeks ago, but not that many people do have a lot of experience in grant making because it's previously been a pretty small kind of profession that's been very much family office Mm. held and not that open to sort of general opportunities, but it kind of seems to be blowing up and, you know, maybe it's the generosity of Australians, maybe it's the the access to more um, capital to use for, for good. I mean, what's your view on that?
1: it's really interesting seeing the sector professionalise and and, um, seeing the new jobs come up and the descriptions of those jobs. Uh, I think it's been – look, philanthropy can be a very personal thing, so – There's a mantra that's in philanthropy that is, if you've seen one foundation, you've seen one foundation. (laughs) And, um, so, you know, everyone has a different approach to the way that they want to fund. If it's heart, if it's mind, if it's strategic, if it's, um, you know, welfare, if it's, you know, or they might have had a personal experience and so they want to, uh, do work in, in that sector. Um, so it's such a personal, um, a personal space. Uh, so there isn't really any consistency but I think there's some fundamentals that you can apply and then it's about um, you know the way that you want to tackle or how you want to practice your philanthropy sort of overlays that but there's a few fundamentals that can probably be spread across every type of giving Um, but yeah it's a very personal journey.
0: (laughs) Absolutely and I'm very curious about how you do what you do um, with having two wonderful trustees around to, to think about as well mm-hmm. in, you know, what their vision is for, mm-hmm. for um, use of the, the funds of the foundation's assets. Um, how does that work and, you know, what's the relationship like and is it you trying to imagine what they would want or do you kind of just take things to them with a good lens and then overlay their lens?
1: Yeah, so it's um, about understanding uh, what they're looking to achieve and, you um, and then finding those projects that fit within uh, the what their approach to giving, uh, what outcomes they like to see and um, you know they've got they've By the time I came into the foundation, they'd had a pretty set structure of how they like to do things. So it was pretty straightforward in terms of the framework to work within. Uh, But I guess as the CEO, I'm their advisor. So it's part uh, bringing projects to them and going out and seeking projects that I think will align with their values and what they want to achieve through the foundation. But also, I think as a CEO, there's a responsibility to um, take them on a journey and uh, bring knowledge to them mm. and, uh, you know, give them new experiences. So, um, you know, one of the things that I'm really excited about recently is that we've um, invited um, a young Syrian refugee to be an advisor on our board. Um, so we have, um, he actually came and interned with us and uh, it was so great to have someone who was, first of all, like super smart um, 25 is better network than I am <laughs> it's amazing um but to have his insight was really valuable to us so um it was quite a new concept to bring in um a, a first all, a young person and someone who um was not a professional in um in their network or um who'd worked in the broader business um so it was really great that um, you know, we we brought him on board. So that's
0: very exciting, yeah. and um, really would shake up your way of thinking. I imagine yeah. too. I wanted to. I'll come back to this thread, but um, another thread I wanted to explore is um, on the note of sort of courage and innovation. Like obviously, you want to um, bring opportunities and wisdom and your own kind of thinking about where things should go. How do you balance kind of? pushing innovation and in how you fund certain things or certain ways of funding projects with sort of having a tight fidelity to the the purpose of the foundation and the trustees kind of intentions
1: uh, look I, I sometimes uh, I'll bring in ideas and and it's a good opportunity just to test where we're at with it all um, and some things uh, they like and some things they don't um, but I they look they're They are entrepreneurs. So, um, you know, Jeff was truly a visionary when he started uh, the Benelong Foundation. And and for those that don't know um, our backstory, um, they set up the foundation, but they also set up a family office with the vision to. Build the family, uh, the value of the family office up over the over a few decades, and uh, at some point in the future, there's a vesting date, and the family office shuts down, and all the wealth will transfer into the foundation. So, um, in a way, it's a giant social enterprise. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, but uh, you know, he was like, "Well, this is, you know, I'm, I'm entrepreneurial. I'd love to do something really valuable with our time, and um, we feel really." grateful for the opportunities that we've had in life and we'd love our fellow Australians who don't have that opportunity to have the opportunity to. Yeah. And um, so it, it was back in 2002, it was pretty visionary to do something like that. So, um, so they're, they're entrepreneurial and they have that entrepreneurial mindset. So, you know, certainly um, bringing new ideas in, you know, sometimes it's, they like it. Sometimes they don't. <laughs> and how do
0: you approach it in terms of you know personal courage? Because I mean, just just say there's something that you're not sure or you think they won't like, but mm-hmm. you think it's really important to kind of run past them. Yeah. Um. Do you back yourself in and just be courageous? Do you have that kind of relationship where you yeah. can be courageous to fail or be shut down?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and um, I think you uh, know we've got a really good relationship. Um. And they have a lot of trust with me and that we're we're very open and transparent. So um most of the time it, it, look if I do present them with an idea, I, I, I'd have to have a pretty good reason behind uh, you know, uh presenting that idea and um and sometimes it's yes and sometimes it's no. But uh it you know, that's good too. You know, you can not not everything's gonna um take, but uh yeah, it's um <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: no, no, you're, you're, I, I feel <laughs> yeah. exactly the, the sentiment there.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, one thing that we were sort of chatting about earlier, I just want to bring you back to it because I think it's an interesting point that I'd never considered before. I mean what's it like being in philanthropy and being the CEO of a philanthropic foundation that's doing a lot of impressive work um, every year and then kind of how does that change perceptions of, of the work that you do and how, how do people maybe – treat you as opposed to sort of looking at the sector themselves and you know you, you would probably think that people in the sector are just you know doing work as they would but when, when they're dealing with you maybe it's a little bit more like i have to act a certain way mm. or i have to speak a certain way or i have to give my 115 percent best version mm. of myself to gain favor in
1: yeah.
0: engaging with you
1: well i think look it's hard for fundraisers because er- like i said earlier every single foundation is different so to navigate through what's going to appeal to who is look its would be incredibly challenging uh, but I think um, there's a, another saying in philanthropy that I've heard that when you're a, um, a grant maker that uh, you are thirty um, percent smarter, thirty uh, percent funnier and thirty percent quicker. Better looking, <laughs> um, so I, I'm acutely aware of how much better looking at now be.
0: is that like the bee goggles effect, sort of? uh, like yeah, everything just looks much better.
1: Um, but you know, I think it, it it is a certainly a funny dynamic when you have um means and people are you know, um, what those means, but mm. I think uh, for me anyway, when there's a genuine alignment, like it, it should just be very natural, um, and you know, I I much prefer the real genuine relationships where um you know the values of what the organisation are doing align with Ben along, and it it when that happens, it's a very natural fit, and um you know you have those genuine relationships, but uh, yeah, it's certainly it's and I, and I'm very very conscious um to be respectful to everyone that I work, you know, that we work with and, and I try to be as transparent as possible and, and make people feel at ease as well because um, I remember I met someone in this role in the first couple of weeks and they were shaking and I was like, what are you, like, <laughs> I was like, oh, Why that's you? scary. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, I think, that was you who was shaking. No, no, oh, it's someone, someone, else. someone had come yep. into my office and they were shaking mm. and I thought, oh, my goodness. Um and um, gosh, I'm, okay, I need to be a lot less scary, but it's, I, I don't think I'm a scary person. I think you're but.
0: incredibly relaxed. You know, yeah. when I came to meet you a few weeks ago, it was very nice experience, very relaxing. Um, there's a lot of cricket, cricket paraphernalia around, which <laughs> yeah, I didn't is. really quite mesh. But. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Jeff is very passionate about cricket. And we've just um, actually, um, they've just funded some cricket equipment for a group of, um Young uh, Afghani refugees in London, Terrific. so who were just absolutely thrilled. They yep. sent it over from Australia, um, and uh, the young kids are absolutely thrilled to to get the gear. So yeah, when there's cricket involved, <laughs> I thought um,
0: when we had a coffee, I thought I was in the MCC club rooms for a minute. <laughs> yeah. I thought, hold on, <laughs> just stop the clock for a minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: it's um, definitely a theme in our office. <laughs>
0: it's, a, it's a stunning building though, mm, um, yeah. and that's been we've been along quite a while, isn't yeah,
1: it? Been along house. So the foundation owns the building, um, and which is really nice. So we've got um, the family office in the building and then one of our businesses. Um, So it's really nice for the staff because the rent that they pay is – a big portion of what we grant out each year and the building itself has a history in philanthropy the felton family owned it at one point so it, it there's um there's philanthropy in the bones of that building yes so, the lifeblood yeah. of the building yeah, yeah and
0: you've got some tenants in there as well don't you
1: yeah so we've just uh rented out half our office to uh, general sir john monash foundation so um so that's uh as it through a grant and it's really fantastic having them uh very inspiring <laughs> having having them in the office and um, great to have the energy of a not-for-profit um, to share the space of our um, family office. And then on the ground floors, we've got um, Benalong Funds Management, which is uh, called Australian Business of the of the Family Office.
0: Lovely. And and so I want to ask you a little bit about your own um, journey and how you were able to choose philanthropy and really successfully transition. Um, did you have, you had a friend who t- suggested the yes, mm. your yes. Um, did you, did you have like accountability buddies or a group of people who you would kind of share your your journey with around work and trying to get towards that place of well-being or was it just sort of checking in with a different friend?
1: No, I, no I didn't know. It was mm. really an independent journey, I have to say, but I, I've always worked independently. So mm. even at Morgan Stanley, you, know, you work independently, like there's 80 of you on the floor, but you have your own business. So it is quite um, – so I'm used to working on my own, and so I, I didn't have that circle of accountability. But it's a good idea, actually. And
0: yeah, I mean, I I, want, I'm, I'm, I think very much like you, so I just try and think a lot myself about what's a good idea and what's not and really process and refine that down before I go to anyone. And, you know, um, it's not like I have a wide accountability network, but it's an idea that I do really like, Mm. Is sort of, you know, having people to check in with around what you're trying to achieve each year. I had a a lovely lady, Whitney, on the podcast um, last year who runs a terrific social enterprise and also works at The Hub. And she has a monthly check-in call with her family where mm. they talk about what their goals and their progress towards their goals, which I thought was super Type A and and very <laughs> interesting um, as a way of relating. You know, imagine if your your parents kind of knew where you, what you were going to do next and what your plans were, and even if you, you know your immediate siblings and family kind of could check in and tell you, yeah, didn't make the cricket team this year, but hoping to you know train mm. harder and make it next year, and you know adjust by eating and maybe get a job. Um
1: I think I'm too spontaneous for that yeah I don't know. I think um what do I have to jump off the cliff and build the plane on the way down is the sort <laughs> of way I do things um I'll figure it out, and yeah. um that works for me, but um i get I'm a creative i guess at my core is yeah what and I but am.
0: but you're, you you struck me also as someone who's pretty curious and open, like um I loved you know connecting with you, but um sort of i think. Probably part of the reason that you, you can be successful in the way that you have been is just about being open to meeting new people and having new conversations about new things. Mm. Uh, is, curi- is curiosity a big part of it for you?
1: Definitely. Um, I think um, it's not. This is definitely not using the term correctly, mm. but I'm going to say it anyway. But I call myself an energy vampire. Yes, yeah. um, <laughs> I mean so, no. yeah, but um, which is actually someone who just bores people <laughs> to death. But. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, the way that I'm going to interpret it hmm. is that I just I feel like uh, when I meet people and I hear their stories, it it refuels me. Yeah. So I, I need it to keep going. Maybe forward.
0: I'm also a vampire. I mean, I don't, <laughs> I don't think I leave people dead when they, <laughs> no, they leave I the don't room, think so but um, it's sort of like it made me think a bit about like who would be your not, I shouldn't say victims, but who would be who you who is who are you getting energy from? And I think about like we probably both have derived energy from someone like Lyndon Galea mm. from Eat Up before, mm. who's just you know superstar. And he, he's, there are so many people, I think, or, well, there's not that many, but there's there's people in the social sector and our kind of space who really do just give you that fuel to kind of mm. keep on rocking and, you know, working towards something.
1: Well, I think it inspires you and I, you, I like to talk to people and hear their journeys and what they, they've achieved and I'll take one little bit from here and I'll take one little bit from mm. there and then I can piece that together to build my next thing or to approach something so you know you build up this little library of um, takeaways that you get when you meet people and like you know with Lyndon's a great great example and one of one of my favorite things i love to do at work is to uh, part of my work is uh engaging the staff in our businesses in in philanthropy and the work of the foundation it's a real privilege to be in that position and to have those moments um and we went to meet Lyndon and I took one of my staff and he'd just started to eat up and we just went away from that meeting. She was like, wow, wow, I love my job. I love that I get to do this. Yeah. And she's like, we've got to have, we've got to find them, blah, blah, blah. So it was really do um, you Don't, don't you just
0: also like want to have whatever he's having? Like because he's just so <laughs> jacked up on life all the time. Like he's he's just, you know, he's always hard at it. And like the the positivity is just infectious and I think it works. Like you know, whatever situation he's in, he's actually not in that situation. He's floating on a cloud or somewhere above that situation. <laughs> but yeah.
1: luckily there's a lot of people in the mm, sector like mm. that and so there's um plenty to fuel you on and just to hear what people are doing and some people are really low-key about it um. but certainly hearing, it, it certainly inspires you and I think it really energises you. So it's a, it's a real privilege working in philanthropy and, and sort of, having this um, bird's-eye view across it, what's happening and and some great people that are doing wonderful things. So it's certainly, yeah, certainly a very inspiring um, sector to work in.
0: Well, yeah. for sure, and you do so much good, but do you ever kind of get a bit freaked out by the enormity of so many problems that you can't necessarily address? Because obviously oh, your corpus can't tackle everything.
1: Absolutely, and I think that's... Um, maybe where you need to sort of choose the areas that you want to work in. Um, There's so many things that you can fund and it can be overwhelming. And, you know, we were at the um, Philanthropy Meets Parliament conference um, a few months ago and they were saying philanthropy is half a fingernail of the amount of funds invested in the social sector. Uh, And so, you know, that was quite overwhelming to hear. So it's about finding those projects that really can be those levers or, um, really, to create that change or really help people, but whatever it is that you, however you choose to practice your philanthropy, um, and I said to people there 's no right or wrong like I mean, there 's ways that you can be irresponsible with your philanthropy, but where you choose to fund on the spectrum, uh, whether it is the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff or it is building the fence or it is lobbying government to build more fences mm. on cliffs um, Wherever you choose to find it, every point is needed. So um, I think it's just honing in exactly who you are and what your identity is. And, and that can change too and evolve, and it should. Yeah.
0: And what about the role of philanthropy? It's something I like to ask all of our guests who mm. work in the philanthropic space. Because so obviously there's always been government, there's always been fundraisers and donors and corporates. Um, has the role of philanthropy changed in so much as how it works with other stakeholders and how it you know tries to achieve its ends?
1: I think there's a lot more um, philanthropists using their influence to create change as well. So um, so you can use not only the money but also your influence and your networks um, to create change. There's a lot of fantastic collaboration happening across the sector as well. Um, I think that we've come a long way from checkbook philanthropy but uh, perhaps it, I think, come in cycles. So, again, it's really, uh, you know, where do you want to, be in the spectrum so you know I, sometimes i come back to mm, maybe just plugging those holes is where it needs to be and um, i think a lot of people will say that philanthropy is uh, risk capital uh, which is fair because you're expecting a minus 100 percent return um on that money and it's already been gifted to the community so um uh that was Adam Milgram. Sorry, I should.
0: I should um, You're welcome but, to cite Adam Milgram yeah. in this studio. I think <laughs> he, he just about his... every member of his team has been on the podcast uh, yeah, at some point. Yeah, so, so. Um,
1: yeah, 100, mm. um, which was great when we, we talked about that with my trustees and they're like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, minus 100% return. So there's the, the risk capital view, um, there's the systems change view, but I think it's um, just taking the time to really, like for me, I think you've really got to take the time to, understand the areas that you'll work with. And also I think the other thing that I think is evolving is a shift in power. So really having the voice of the people that you're working with as part of um, what what you find, how do you decide where you fund? And, and I hope we see more of that raising through where you really um, have the voice of those people um, in, and rather than just sort of the philanthropists and the trustees mm-hmm. making those decisions. So
0: one thing you said earlier that really resonated with me was about finding trigger points in the system to influence change. Mm. That was, for me, very very much a great characterization of where impact can be had in the philanthropy space. Mm.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, I want to jump to a couple of bonus questions, which we, which we do from time to time here at uh, Humans of Purpose. I'll just cherry pick a couple of these. So first one would be uh, what is the best thing you've added into your life or routine in the past six months?
1: Well, can I go back to two years?
0: Yes, you <laughs> can may.
1: Permission um, granted. So, I, uh, so one of the things that my trustees did, um, or nearly nine years ago was put some clocks in at the botanical garden track on the town track. And each year we have a an event where we do a lap of the town and it's you know it's a lot of shade thrown in the office and (laughs) can get quite competitive. Um and I thought, oh my God, I'm organizing this every year. I actually should run it myself. Mm. So I started running um two years ago and now I'm a bit of a crazy obsessed runner. (laughs) Oh, that's (laughs) awesome. Yeah, yeah. So I think um next year I'm gonna I'm saying it on the podcast, and so now I have to do it. But yeah. I think I'm going to try and do a half marathon next oh, year. So congratulations. So started with the tan and, yep. yeah, so now I'm, I get all angsty if I haven't run and so I've got anxiety. all the gear, yeah. So How often are you going now? Well, I'm trying to go three times a week. It doesn't always happen. Mm. But now I now I wake up a quarter to six in the morning. I mean, I don't know who I am You're, you're <laughs> obsessed with running.
0: <laughs> yeah. Are you addicted to the runner's high? Is that what it is? Um, do you get runner's high?
1: Uh, uh, no, I'm not quite there yet because yeah. I think – I think that kicks in after about three hours. (laughs) I'm not that committed. But um, it's... You know, it's the personal challenge. It's, it's trying to. It's really hard. Go faster, go further. And I've become quite competitive with myself. So it's, it's, um. Are you
0: competing with others yet or just limiting it to yourself?
1: Just to my, like, yeah, just to myself. So have I, you know, did I do that run faster? Can I go further? Yeah. Yeah, So it's, um, and, and because sport is such a big part of the culture at Benalong, it's, it's, um, it's been really good. And, and it's just a great example of, um, influencing, you know. So that's I've got my trustees to blame for my crazy <laughs> running in
0: session. <laughs> that's awesome. Is there one thing you believe that others don't, like an uncommon kind of viewpoint or perspective?
1: Um I don't know if it's things that other people don't believe, but I I just I, I'm I'm a jump in kind of person, so just got to go for it and <laughs> um and then the other thing is being accountable. I think is the other thing too, just being honest and um, straight up, if if there's something that's happened that's gone wrong, um, yeah, just being open and honest and having that transparency is. Uh, I don't know. if I think a lot of other people would agree with that, but that's something that a lot that's of people
0: quite, would say it. They might not live it. it sounds like yeah, you're living it, which
1: yeah, is great. Yeah, it's a, well. You've got to be. I think um, not brave, but you know, it does again take you out of your comfort zone, or my comfort zone anyway. But um, yeah, leaning into feeling uncomfortable. I think
0: <laughs> love it. It's perfect. Uh, what's your morning and evening routine? Uh,
1: so uh, so in the morning, uh, well, I try and get up three times a week for a run um, and then it's literally like jump in the shower, um, get dressed and then I take my son to kinder. and um, my, my husband gets the kids ready and I'm very lucky. He's really wonderful and um, was really supportive of me taking it because I work full time. Um at Benelong and at Morgan that was only three days a week and he was really supportive of me taking full-time work. So he went back to four days a week so that so that I could take this job, which is amazing. Um, but, yeah, he does the lunches and breakfasts and gets them dressed and everything in the morning. So it's, it's a very quick morning and then I'm out the door and then I'm driving to Kinder and then into the city and then coffee and straight into it.
0: And um, evening, wind down?
1: Wind down, Um, so evening's a bit crazy with the two kids Um, and so by the time we've got them into bed, um, we'll have dinner and then we might watch some Netflix and then I'll try and do some reading but that never (laughs) really happens. Um, But, you know, we've got to have a lot of events and like board meetings and evening activities, so I'm usually out a couple of times a week.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for participating in that short segment. Um, We'll kick along. So one thing I did want to ask you about as well was, I mean, you don't just do Ben Along. You've actually got a fair few things going on. The Mm -hmm. Nappy Collective's still going. Mm -hmm. You're part of a new not-for-profit now?
1: Um, Yeah, just another not-for-profit called um, Israel for Youth Foundation. So that's just about to launch next week. We're incorporating.
0: How do you balance everything?
1: Um, Look, it's – I think, you know, this is where it comes to doing what you love, right? So – I think for the start of the episode, I talked about how I see all these people saying they do what they love, and I found it. Um, And so, I I love doing all of it. Um, But I think having a very supportive partner definitely helps. Um, But all of it, I find really energizing. So, and I think work um, is—they're really supportive of me having these other um, these other roles as well. So they, you know, they think it's a great. To have me actually being on the um, not-for-profit side as well, so they're really supportive. And if I need to take um, a morning off um, once in a while to attend an event or all that sort of thing, they're really supportive of it. Um, so that certainly helps having that again that transparent, and open relationship um, with my trustees. Uh, but yeah, if you if you really love what you're doing, it, it's um, you have this energy and I think particularly with the Nappy Collective, it just had this such a community um, support behind it. It really drove us, you know, to get to where it was. So that was really energising too. So, um, yeah, when you love what you're doing, it's, it's easy to balance.
0: How about the role of mentorship in your life and journey to date?
1: Um, I think I've just, I get p- bits and pieces from everywhere. So um, I do Kilfinan and that's really great to have um, a mentor through that, through someone that I don't, who I didn't know before. Uh, but you know, what's wonderful about philanthropy is it's an incredibly supportive community. It's a small community, but everyone is so willing to share and, um, you know, pick up the phone and, Have a question about something, you know, everyone's really open about it, um, which was quite different to Morgan Stanley. (laughs) And I I remember coming home and saying, Everyone's being really nice to me. What what, what's going on? (laughs) My husband. And um my husband said to me, Maybe they're just nice. And I was like, Oh, is that a thing? (laughs) 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 Um, so yeah, it's and it is. Um, so it's a really um beautiful uh community and supportive communities. So I think it's uh, maybe a communal mentoring. So yeah. getting bits and pieces from here and there. Yeah. Um, That's well said. Along the way.
0: It's very well said. And so do you do you feel that like the combination, and you might have already answered this, but the combination of like Morgan Stanley and the financial staff, um, starting your own not-for-profit and sort of having those different experiences all landed you in a great position to do philanthropy well, like to have those different yes. lenses?
1: Uh, yeah, I think so. And um, certainly, you know, like you'd um, assess a, a business, um, you'd, you'd look at the not-for-profit and there was some of that due diligence that you would put across both Uh and they really wanted someone who knew how to read a balance sheet <laughs> in the role. Um, so those those simple things uh, and then it's interesting to think of some of the analytics that we used in, in uh, finance Um And uh, it doesn't necessarily carry across to philanthropy, but you sort of have that in the back of your mind too. Um, But it's really, it's I think one of the biggest things I've learned in philanthropy is learning to listen, Mm. to be a good listener. And what's interesting is that my career has really been about being an advisor. So I was an advisor at Morgan Stanley and in my role at Benalong, my role is to advise the board, right? So when you're talking to not-for-profits, it's not for philanthropy to advise them on what they're doing you've got to be a listener so that was an interesting thing to learn how to turn off as well and not um i guess put my the way that i would do things um from my very privileged position for instance um on the way things are so it's um really uh that's a big learning journey that i've had is to become a really good listener and i think that's really key in the role
0: so well said do you have a quote or expression that you try and live by or a favourite quote or expression?
1: Mm, no, I'm <laughs> not a quote person, sorry. <laughs> Um, you have
0: favourite Your enthusiasm scenes, <laughs> scenes, which is sort of more than qualifies you for. You don't need quotes when you've got curb.
1: Well, that's uh, lessons for life, right? Hundred percent,
0: hundred percent for life. <laughs> hey, listen, I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Pleasure. How can people connect with you and learn more about Benalong and your work as well?
1: Yeah, so I'm I'm very accessible. So happy to chat to anyone, and um, I think. Part of this reciprocity and, and my building my network is that I, so many people were generous to me coming through my year of yes and figuring out what I wanted to do with my life and finding my ikigai. guy. Um, so I it's love for when I have the opportunity to talk to someone who might be embarking on that journey too. Um, but uh, you can contact us through uh, the Benelong Foundation website or find me on LinkedIn or through the Nappy Collective. So th- it's pretty easy to find me.
0: <laughs> yes, you're not hidden under a rock anywhere. <laughs> quite, quite findable. <laughs> well, thanks so much, Sandra. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button in your podcast player or the link in today's episode notes. Why not share the podcast with your networks? After all, 62% of our subscribers come from word of mouth recommendations and social shares. You could also leave us a five star review and some kind words in the iTunes store. If you love what we do each week and want to support the show, you should join our growing community of Patreon supporters or consider becoming a show sponsor. To learn more about all of that, just head to humansofpurpose.com.